The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Let's get started the best we can here this morning, or afternoon, afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to Schaumburg, Illinois, 2023. Here we are. So great to have all of you with. And uh, great for those folks online. Welcome. And uh, once again, a hybrid. This is always a fun experience. And uh, please settle in. We'll have a couple hours of uh, good informative information for you. So I think with that, we're going to turn it over to our first guest. We're going to be hearing about Illinois and their program here. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Kim. So wherever she may be. I am Jeanette. I am the host. I'm going to give the opening code twice. Six, six, five, one, four, six, six, five, one, four. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the um, RSVA session here at the ACB conference. Um, I will be your main presenter today. My name is Kim Borowitz. I am the Bureau Chief for the Illinois Bureau of Blind Services. So that means that I work um, within the Division of Rehabilitation Services here in Illinois, which is part of the Illinois Department of Human Services. Uh, so I am based in Chicago. So I was telling folks today for me to come out to Schomburg. I took the Blue Line subway to almost the end, took a suburban bus and then a trolley. So don't we all love as blind and vision impaired people those days where we take almost every type of transit? <laughs> Although I didn't get to take a ferry <laughs> or a plane. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to introduce myself a bit um, and why I'm here. And thank you so much to artists um, for asking me to present. Um, I think it's so great that when you guys have your national conferences, um, this idea of asking the state uh, the state services that you're in to come to present. So I think that's really wonderful. So I started in this job a year ago. So I'm very, very new um, to working within blind services. But I do have a vision disability myself. Um, I'm right at legally blind in both eyes. Um, and my vision condition, it's not progressive. It doesn't really change. It's been what it always has been since I was born. So I, like I was saying, am unable to drive um, an automobile. I use Zoom text to enlarge everything um, and things of that nature. So I came from before this, I was at the United States Department of Labor working in Washington, D.C., so I actually moved from Washington, D.C. to Chicago um, for this role. My career has always focused on disability. So I'm a lawyer by trade, and I chose to go to law school specifically to focus on disability rights law. I had done some internships when I was in college that really were life-changing and energizing to me in terms of working for disability rights nonprofits, disability state agencies as an intern, and just really getting excited about the idea of disability rights had never been 
really proposed to me. I, I really didn't even know about that till the age of 17, 18. Um, I was always mainstreamed in K through 12 schools, so wasn't really uh, introduced to other folks with disabilities other than my brother, <laughs> because we share the same vision disability. And I just got really excited about the Americans with Disabilities Act. So being the nerd that I am, read it top to bottom <laughs> when I first found out about it and, you know, just really started advocating for myself at school in my college for accessible books. Because, of course, at that time, not to age myself, but at that time, um, you couldn't get ebooks. So, you know, you would have to buy the print book, uh, have the Disability Services Office, cut the binding off, scan it in. Um, and then wait for your books to come in. So I went directly into law school um, out of college with, like I said, this goal of focusing my career on disability rights. I worked in Chicago for six years at Access Living, which is a center for independent living, um, doing housing rights work for folks with all types of disabilities. After that, I went to the National Council on Disability um, in D.C., worked there for a year on national um, disability policy. So our main work was uh, advising the president and Congress on different disability issues. A lot of the work I did focused on transportation issues and access to health care. And then, like I said, after that, I went to the United States Department of Labor um, I focused for four years, four or five years on reasonable accommodation policy. And then after that, focused on digital accessibility for two years. Um, so, so Section 508 of the Rehabilitation Act, um, which I'm sure many are, are many of you familiar with that, with that statute, Section 508. Yeah. So yeah, we were chatting about it earlier today when you had um, come in the room. So something that's interesting that I find interesting in our vending program here in Illinois and that I've been really, really trying to bring to the program is that Section 508 digital accessibility. So I feel really lucky that here in Illinois, we have the Illinois Information Technology Accessibility Act. I know, cheers, <laughs> cheers to that. I can't clap because I have a mic in my hand. Um, but it mimics exactly Section 508 of the Rehabilitation Act. So what that does is make sure that everything we as a state agency produce in terms of electronic documents, web content, uh, software systems that are used within our state agency must be accessible to people with disabilities. So of course that includes screen reader accessibility, for someone like me, um, part of my vision disability is that I'm completely colorblind. So that includes having high contrast between the letters in a document or the letters on the website and the background uh, color. It makes sure that when we're doing like graphs, pie charts, bar graphs, that everything isn't color coded within the legends and those sorts of things. So... I, of course, when I started this position, had that digital accessibility on my mind because it, it was what I focused on for the last couple of years of my career. And so I have been surprised by how many documents we have that are just hard copy um, that might be only in 12-point font, Times New Roman, hard copy. 
So I am completely dedicated, and I've said this in many rooms. <laughs> I said it at our Illinois Council of the Blind Conference as well completely committed to making sure that all of our documents in our vending program are accessible, um, both for our blind vendors, um, also for any customers that might be interested in our training program, um, also for any potential sites um, that we might be that we might be approaching in terms of, you know, asking a facility if they are interested in having vending on their site. Um, so that's something that I'm really trying to bring to this program, a really fresh look on those kinds of things. And also, um, I was talking with you earlier um, about me also keeping a list of our vendors' accommodation needs. So right now we have um, 55 vendors in um, different locations around the state. And I really do want to keep a list of what size font certain um, vendors need. You know, does this vendor usually want things on the computer or would something work better for them mailed? Um, would it work better if I'm brailing documents um, for some of our folks as well? So really bringing that accessibility piece um, to, to the vending program that I am just like so dedicated to and um, really have, I really have a strong background in making documents um, and forms, especially forms accessible to folks. Um, so I did mention that we have 55 vendors at sites. And one of the things um, artists has asked me to pull is just some of our numbers. So we right now have um, 15 of our vendors are at federal facilities, 33 are at state facilities, six at county facilities, and one at a city facility. And these numbers that I'm reading off to you, they're from our RSA 15 report. So that's Rehabilitation Services Administration number 15 report. And I think it's interesting to know, because I don't know that all folks are aware of this, but those are available to the public. So I think the last time I went onto the Rehabilitation Services Administration website, I was able to get the last maybe six or seven years of reports from every state. Um, so I think that's important to note as part of our funding stream, we as a state vending program here in Illinois are required to report on things like number of facilities and amount of money coming in and out every year to the federal government. So a couple other um, numbers that I pulled is that our average vendor earnings, so this is for our last reporting period, um, which ended in November because it's, it's on the fiscal, it's on the federal fiscal year. Um, average vendor earnings were $51,000, gross pro profits 7 million, and gross sales 13 million. So um, 51,000, I think, you know, we can, we can definitely aim for higher for average income, but I do feel like we were doing, you know, the best we can during the pandemic. And the pandemic is definitely something that I did want to bring up while we're presenting here. I know it's probably affected every vendor um, across the country in different ways. So it has definitely affected our vendors and something we have really tried to do as a program 
is open job retention cases for folks. So what that means is that in order to be a vendor um, here in Illinois, the person first has to be a vocational rehabilitation customer uh, within the state. And so then we open a case for them. And then within their goal for employment, their goal for employment can be to be a vendor. So once someone goes through our training program, which I'll talk about a little more later in the talk, and then becomes a vendor, and they're successfully in their vending site, we then close their case as a state with the with the vocational rehabilitation program. And the reason we do that is because they've achieved the goal of competitive integrative employment, which is the overall goal of vocational rehabilitation programs. Now, what we really tried to emphasize during the pandemic is that even though a vendor might still have a site, um, might still have some income coming in during the pandemic, we really wanted them to know that you can reopen your vocational rehabilitation case with us and do a job retention. So we were able to get grants um, from the federal government, so from the Rehabilitation Services Administration, um, and we were able to give different amounts to different vendors depending on the amount, and it all was calculated by the different amounts of loss um, they had incurred during the pandemic. So those grants, the largest went up to $18,800 um, all the way down to 1000 just depending on how well a vendor site was doing. Um, we also, within the job retention, made sure that folks had the assistive technology that they needed. So we can do that as well within our job retention program. So what I think is really unique about the vending program or any type of self-employment is that you're, it's not something that's covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act in employment to get your reasonable accommodations. So, you know, say um, someone in the vocational rehabilitation program, their ultimate employment goal was to go work at um, like a large corporation like Target or Wells Fargo or Chase Bank, right? And so, you know, if, if someone's like a bank teller at Chase Bank, of course, like Chase Bank has to provide different uh, reasonable accommodations to them under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So that would be, of course, like their JAWS screen reader software, their enlargement computer software and those kinds of things. Well, when you're self-employed, which we, we have self-employment programs in addition to the vending programs, you don't have that employer in that way, you know, to say, hey, I need a JAWS upgrade as part of my reasonable accommodation to work for you, employer. Hey, I need a new um, electronic magnifier or my Braille display um, has broken and I need, you know, help paying for the repair. So we do really try to help vendors in terms of, because we have vendors oh my gosh, who have been vendors 40, 50 years, longer than I've been alive. So a lot of them, you know, maybe some of the technology that might help on the vending site uh, maybe didn't even exist like when they were a VR, when they uh, were a VR customer. So we do try to open up those cases. Something that I've found really interesting in this program 
is that our VR program, our vocation rehabilitation program requires financial participation by the customer. If the customer um, or the family members that they're living with, like make a certain amount of money. But there's an exception there if the person gets Social Security, so SSI or SSDI, they're exempt from having to do that financial participation. So I didn't realize when I came into the program that the vendors still receive Social Security. So it's been a nice way for them to be able to get updated assistive technology, um, even if they're, they've been in the program many years. Um, I did want to talk about different assistive technology that we have been providing folks um, and working with folks with. So um, most recently, the biggest ask I've been getting from vendors are OrCam. And I've mostly been getting that request from uh, vendors who are totally blind. And especially for there's different vision, versions of OrCam. Um, one that clicks onto the side of a pair of glasses and another that can be handheld. Um, certain types, they don't read barcodes and they don't read currency. So we've made sure to make sure that we're providing the OrCams for folks that's able to do the optical character recognition um, for folks that can read the barcodes on the food products um, and also to, yeah, and also to help them with the with the currency recognition. Um, I think that's been a harder item, right? Because it's it's a more expensive item, um, but it has been something that we have been been trying to provide to folks, um, and we're lucky to have some in inventory. So if someone asks for one, we can provide one pretty much right away, um, as opposed to kind of having to wait for different funding streams to come in. So that's something we've been trying to do as well, both in the vendor program and in the vocational rehabilitation program, is to have some um, devices on site um, that we could maybe loan um, to someone right away because as many of the people in the room know, sometimes we as vision impaired and blind folks um, sometimes have to wait what feels like a while to get um, the accommodations that we need. Um, so Tim Runkle is our equipment specialist um, in the Illinois vending program. And so he his main focus is like the different types of vending machines, um, maintenance of those, making sure that they get to the sites that they need to go to. Um, and I wanted him to talk a little bit about how we've had to kind of change um, how we set up vending sites and uh, like the type of equipment that we are have been using during the pandemic. Yes, yeah, sure, sure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Kim, um, for the introduction. Um, yeah, as far, far as the state of Illinois, uh, we currently, you know, even before the pandemic, we have uh, approximately $17 million in uh, uh, vending equipment throughout the state of Illinois. Um, it, it's the largest uh, inventory and the largest uh, agency, the Department of Human Services in the state. Um, we, we generally have uh, snack, beverage, coffee, cold food, frozen food, and combo machines that uh, have both the snacks and the, and the beverages. Um, but uh, since the pandemic, it, it's kind of kind of forced things to change slightly. And I think we're, we're, we're headed in a definitely a good uh, direction. 
Um, one of the things that it forced our managers to do is uh, something that they uh, were very reluctant to do before the pandemic was have credit card devices on their machines. Very reluctant. And then as the pandemic and as, as, as cash was used less and less, um, they've all basically transitioned uh, to credit card devices on their equipment. Um, that way the, the tap pay and the Apple pay and, and, and all that can be, can be used. Uh, we may have currently now, I think we have maybe two managers in the whole state that does not have credit cards. And in one of them, uh, we're in the process of, uh, uh, getting them to have credit cards. Uh, but the biggest transition that, it, that, that is really exciting, uh, on, on my front is, uh, micro, a micro market. And for those of you not that have never heard of a micro market. A micro market is an unmanned retail space where people can purchase an infinite number of products along with the normal snack and beverage items. Um, this is, this is really a game changer that can open managers to selling almost anything at, at their locations. Um, it'll allow you to sell products that won't fit in your standard vending machine. Um, we as a state, we currently have seven micro markets in the state and we're working on an eighth. Uh, the first micro market we, we uh, installed actually was installed prior the, to the pandemic at Lake Point Tower. Um, right, if you don't know, it's right near Navy Pier in Chicago. Um, a beautiful, beautiful market. Um, but since then, since the pandemic, we, we've ordered, we've opened six more of these markets. Um, now the, you, these, do you mind telling them what kind of, um, building Lake, Lake Point Tower is uh, yeah, like uh, it's kind of a unique, like setup that we've done. Sure. Sure. It, it's, it's kind of, kind of a locked, locked community, you know, a community, um, uh, full of, uh, condos and, uh, um, living areas, just living spaces for, for, for people down in the, uh, um, Navy Pier area, a very high profile location. Um, so, you know, people can, uh, you know, come down, we, we've got it, this micro market set up to where it's actually got an ice cream machine. They can come down, they can get their, uh, dish of ice cream and purchase it at their, at the payment kiosk. Each micro market has what's called a payment kiosk where they can go up and scan their item and, and pay with credit card. Um, they can also set up accounts on this, 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 this payment kiosk and they can feed the account and keep, you know, keep however much money they want to keep on their account. And then, then they can just go, go purchase it. And, you know, you know, and with a thumbprint fingerprint you can, it, it automatically charges your account. And, um, but it's, it's, it's basically, it's just an unmanned kiosk. Our manager isn't there. You know, they're there regularly to, to make sure everything's working properly, you know, fill in as needed. Um, and the one thing really nice about these, um, it, it's much more economical to install a micro market than uh, uh, a bank of machines. Uh, a nice bank of machines for a location uh, of two with 200 more people, um, you're going to average with, with a with a with a with a coffee machine with a cold food machine, a frozen food, a tin select beverage. Uh, it's going to be all those machines together. You're talking approximately $45,000. Uh, 
with a micro market with cold food coolers, with frozen food cooler, with a, a coffee machine, payment kiosk, beverage cooler, uh, you're in a dry goods display cooler. You're, you're going to, uh, it's going to be around approximately $29,000. So you're, you're about, uh, you know, $16,000 cheaper installing a market market than, than you would be a actual bank of vending machines. Micro markets also give you so many more options, an infinite number of options. Uh, you know, you can do bigger sized products that won't fit in a vending machine. Um, Healthier products too, sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yep. It it opens the door to so many different uh, uh, items um, to help take care of the customer, and uh, um, it's it's in my eyes, it's it's the way of the future and the way things are going. And we've noticed that the these locations that we place that the uh, sales have gone up dramatically at these locations. Um, plus, in what you would think would be uh, uh, a big thing would be shrinkage. And shrinkage at, at the seven locations we have opened has been minimal um, to what it, uh, uh, what we thought it would be ourselves when we went into these locations. You mean like, um, like stolen items? Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, yep. It's absolutely been minimal. Um, and it's, you know, more than been canceled out by the increase in profits um, uh, at the locations. So it's it's definitely the way the way of the future and the way to go. And, and I hope here in Illinois, we, we continue to move towards uh, more of these markets because you can do all different sizes. I mean, you can make it as small as you'd like, or you can, you know, depending on the location, expand it out. Just gives you so many options and so much cheaper as far as, you know, as far as putting together and building. Can you also talk about, because I was pretty impressed by this when you were showing me the market in Springfield, like the ease of setup was pretty surprising to me. Oh, for sure. Um, There's, Basically, everything's uh, your your like your dry goods display. Everything rolls in already put together. Um, we've got uh, modular uh, dry goods displays already built, ready to go. It's just wheeling it in and putting it in place. Your all your coolers are are, are on wheels, and uh, you know just just roll them off the truck and and put them in place and get them started. Um, it's just as simple as that. Just level them out, and you're ready to roll. Can you also talk about the cashless vending in the correction centers? Before the pandemic, uh, one of our biggest, biggest, our biggest locations were the, all the correctional centers throughout the state of Illinois, where we have equipment and all those. And in those uh, correctional centers, we have uh, um, right now it's uh, it's a cashless system. Um, it's a debit tech system, basically the the visitor or employee would come in, they purchase a card and they add money to that card because of correctional center, you're not allowed to bring cash in, into the location. So they have to put money on, on these cards and then they can take these cards and, and each vending machine um, has a, has a card reader on it. And uh, what they do is they place that, that card in that machine and, and uh, say they put $40 on that card, they could uh, um, purchase 
$40 worth of product out of the vending machines. And lots of times before the pandemic, you would get, uh, you'd be amazed, you'd get customers in there that would stay uh, six, eight hours with, with, with their person that they were there to see at the correctional center. Well, once the, once the pandemic hit and all those locations shut down, visits weren't allowed, um, it was a huge, huge hit to our program. Um, unfortunately, they, they all haven't come back yet. Uh, the more, uh, from what I hear, they're slowly coming back, but, but whether we'll ever get back to where we were, um, that we'll have to wait and see up until the pandemic get those were doing gangbusters. Now they're just, uh, it's taken some time, but they're slowly coming back. Uh, but it is, it's, it's a cashless system. Um, they had money, on, put it on the card um, at the front gate. And uh, then they're able to utilize them in the vending machines in the, in the correctional centers. Thanks so much, Tim. Something yeah. else I heard um, from one of our vendors that does have a correctional center as um, his facility is, he was saying after Mother's Day, <laughs> he had to refill everything um, because that particular correction center, they did allow, you know, uh, visitors this last Mother's Day, right? So a lot of folks um, were coming were coming on site. So that kind of made them perk up a little bit and feel like maybe, you know, there's more positives to come kind of as we're as we're getting out of this pandemic. Um, something else I wanted to say with the pandemic is, of course, our federal sites have really been struggling. Um, as someone who I was saying just came from working in the in the federal government, I have to say, and I was working in the federal government in Washington, D.C. at the main U.S. Department of Labor building. So just imagine this huge complex, just huge federal, like huge cement, massive blocks long. It was probably about two blocks wide by one block across five levels. And the building is just eerily like no one there. And I'm someone who doesn't really like working from home. And I had to advocate for myself to even be allowed to go back and work in the office. And this was about maybe a year and a half ago. Um, and then when I went, it was so eerie. It was, I always kind of joked, like, it's me, the maintenance folks, the folks that are cleaning, and the security. Um, I pretty much, I felt really secure. There were like five security guards per, you know, individual in the building. Um, but that, of course, affected so much the blind vendors that were on site there at that location. And we have definitely felt that with the federal buildings um, in downtown Chicago, um, really just not able to get. And even with a lot of our state government buildings, just not enough employees on site. And I recently pulled a PDF from the White House website from their Office of Management and Budget website that was advising different federal departments how to how they should continue with telework. And that document, you know, really, to me, was very much encouraging federal employees um, to continue teleworking. And, you know, unless the federal employee had customers that came on site or needed an on-site presence, um, really seemed to be going towards telework, which 
is incredibly difficult um, for the vendors as well. Something we have been doing a little more of lately is um, private facilities. So, of course, um, you know, federal facilities are covered under the Randolph Shepard Act. State facilities, we have our Illinois State Blind Vendor Act, you know, where we get the priority to state facilities. Um, but, and this is actually thanks to a lot of our vendors themselves, really um, kind of finding these private business opportunities, or maybe, you know, someone has approached them. Um, so recently we put vending machines in a car dealership. And then um, one that I thought was pretty cool, and I'm kind of bummed that I didn't go on the site visit, was a car racing site. Now, I thought it was car cars, but it's like remote control cars. Um, but still, it would have been kind of fun to go along um, on that site survey. And going into that, um, something that the Illinois vending program that we did add in um, maybe about a year and a half, two years ago, was a staff position to do site surveys. So we do have a staff person now, and I think that this is incredibly helpful, whose focus is um, finding new available site opportunities, going to those sites, you know, seeing uh, where can we put machines, how many folks are in and out of the building, um, and just to really focus on drumming up, getting more facilities. I was recently at a national conference, the National Council of State Agencies for the Blind, and sitting at a table with uh, other states' vending programs, and some of them were saying that they have more facilities than they have vendors. And I think we have the opposite problem here, or not problem, but I don't want to say problem because it's negative, but we have the opposite here in Illinois, um, where we will have multiple vendors bidding um, on a specific facility. Here in Illinois, we do have a bidding program with a, uh, a bidding process uh, with a selection committee. The selection committee consists of a vocational rehabilitation counselor, two vendors, and then our chair of that um, selection committee is our, our staff person who runs our personnel and training. Something I did wanna talk about um, is our training program. So that, of course, had to change a bit during the pandemic as well um, to primarily virtual training. So during the pandemic, and we're still using it, we have started using the um, Business Enterprise for the Program virtual training, um, uh, virtual training that's provided. It was previously through Hadley, um, but it's now provided out of the Lighthouse for the Blind, Chicago Lighthouse for the Blind. Um, so we are providing virtual training that way. We have two training sites. So one in Chicago, and we have one in Springfield, Illinois, which is a couple hours from here. Um, and Springfield, Illinois is the capital of Illinois. That's actually where Tim Runkle, who was just presenting, is located. And then I'm located in Chicago. So our training, our vending training center that's in Chicago, it's in the same building as our training center um, for blindness skills. So, you know, we have vocational rehabilitation customers on site, and mobility skills, cooking, cleaning, braille, um, and assistive technology. And then we also have our vending training program there. Both sites have multiple types of um, vending machines, um, micro market setup. 
so that the trainees can get their hands-on training there. In addition to having hands-on training at the two training centers uh, with the equipment, we also match as part of the training program um, a trainee with uh, an established blind vendor, vendor. And this usually is done near where the trainee lives. We try to find uh, a mentor vendor near where the trainee lives and they can get on the job training that way. Um, so that could include like loading and reloading machines or, you know, manning a cafe um, and those kinds of things. So we did have to really shift what was otherwise a fully in-person training program during the pandemic um, to allow for more virtual options. And we have portions of those virtual options in place, but also kept um, within that on-site training. Something that's been kind of difficult is the Chicago Training Center, because we're also providing other types of training there in addition to the vendor training, has dorms on site and a cafeteria. Um, our Springfield vending training site is offices and then the vendor training. So offices for staff and then the vendor training area. Um, so we have run into issues with like making sure we have hotel housing um, and food provided for the trainee there. So, you know, just things that we're always having to think about in terms of keeping our training up and going. Our training program has been small lately. So our last cohort was two folks, two trainees, one in Chicago and one in Springfield. Our next cohort starts um, on Wednesday, so the day after the 4th of July. And again, it will be two new trainees, one in Chicago and one in Springfield. Our goal is to have a staff trainer at both sites. Um, but right now we only have a staff trainer position filled in at the Springfield site. Um, we've posted the training position um, for Chicago and just waiting, you know, for that to go through in terms of hiring an on-site trainer in Chicago as well. Um, another thing artists had asked um, that I present on as well is the eligibility rules here at, um, in Illinois for being a blind vendor. So folks have to be legally blind, so no better than 20 over 200 central vision in both eyes. And then they have to be a citizen of the U.S. Um, they have to be at least 21 years of age, have a valid state ID card, um, not be in possession of a driver's license, and not be convicted of a felony. So um, none of our vendors drive. We're always helping to find ways um, for folks to get from point A to point B. Sometimes we do find um, that our vending sites that come up in, the, uh, in and around the Chicagoland area because there's more public transit options in terms of like living conditions for folks um, seem to be like more of interest to folks sometimes than the downstate vendor options. Um, we have had some vendors who have moved um, within the state in order to get a site, you know, that works that works best for them. And, you know, I've been talking a lot about sites, but we also we have routes as well. So when I talk about a vendor having a facility, that's like a main facility in terms of our reporting to the federal government. Um, but often folks will have maybe sites that aren't as lucrative, but 
you know, if you combine three or four sites together. Um, so that could be things like uh, rest areas, vending machines and rest areas, um, and those sorts of things that the vendor can go from site to site to site, uh, filling machines that way. Um, so that's, that's all I have for my formal presentation. Do we want to open it up for any questions, Artis? Uh, do vendors pay set-aside fees? Uh, I know some states, uh, you pay so much percentage of your profit back to the state to cover maintenance or anything that they need in the future. Uh, yeah, yeah, they do, they do pay back set-aside. In Minnesota, we primarily do vending. I, I have the only micro market that we have, but we do vending machines. Uh, with uh, you folks here in Illinois, you do a little more variety with your food service options and micro markets and that kind of stuff. So as folks are coming through your training, is there a point where they get to say, well, I think I'm a little more interested in the vending aspect of it, the micro market aspect of it, um, so they can split off and do more intense training in that area, or do they just go through the whole gamut and then start out from there? With uh, your vendors who are now licensed and operating their businesses, how do they move between businesses? What, what's your bid process? What I'm curious about. So with those two questions, I'll hand the mic back over. Okay, so this is Kim. So our bid process, um, like I started talking about, does have a selection committee, um, and our our folks that are wanting to bid on the site have to fill out an application and go through an interview process. Now, what we're finding, and I, I forgot to say this in my main presentation, is we are in dire need of a rules revision um, within our Illinois administrative code rules. Hopefully, we're not the only state. So, you know, when I was reading the eligibility criteria, I was reading it through from the rule itself, and it's from 2010. And then our, our vendor manual is even older than that. I think it's 2008, 2004. So I will say that um, we really do need to up update our bid process. Um, we're finding that because it has two vendors on it, we're having a really hard time um, controlling for like conflict of interest or bias because our, our vendors are an awesome community and um, they have like great community among each other. So they all know each other. <laughs> so um, we're trying to work that out because we have found with this bid process also, it has been really hard for our outcoming trainees to get a site. So we really, I mean, I love your question because it is something that we really do need to improve is vendor ability to move um, within different types of sites. Tim, um, would you mind talking a bit about business income opportunities? Because I feel like that's maybe a way um, that our vendors can try a different type of site. In Illinois, we, we have what's called a business income opportunity. And that is, that is a location where uh, uh, it's, it's basically added income for, for a, a main facility. Say we've got a location that has been uh, had issues or the manager, prior manager has, has had issues. Uh, we will sometimes put it out as a business opportunity uh, and have a have a seasoned, more seasoned manager come in 
um, and run it for a while to get it back on its feet, to get it, get it running. They'll, they'll, they'll get it set up, get it running properly, collect the profits off it. And if it's, if it is a profitable location, we'll, uh, uh, put it back out for bid for a main facility for somebody. You know, sometimes we have just new, uh, locations that come aboard we we don't know if it's going to be a standalone location or if it's just going to be something added for somebody we'll, we'll we'll do the same same thing you know we'll put it out as a business opportunity and uh let let the managers bid on it and uh you know whoever wins that bid will 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 run the location you know uh, just until we see how profitable it is and and uh um it, it's just an added uh, opportunity for, for managers to, to make uh, a, a little extra money along with their facility. Hey, I got one question about the uh, kiosk. Uh, what type of kiosk do you operate and is it accessible or totally blind version? The company we go through is, is, is par level. It's a par level payment kiosk. I would not say it is uh, totally accessible. Um, uh, for everybody by any means. Um, this is something for me to work on with my. Uh, it, 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 it may be. <laughs> it, it may be. Now we we do. You know, it, we did not specifically pick this unit out. Um, uh, but we uh, a couple of our blind managers did uh want us to go this route, and that's the route we went. Um, is it ideal? I would say no at this point. Thank y'all so much for being here on a Saturday afternoon. We really do appreciate it. Uh, this is Michael Talley from Birmingham, Alabama. And, um, I would like to answer that question, um, too, about the micro markets. So I personally have two micro markets and after doing much research, I ended up going with, um, three square markets, which has since been bought out by cantaloupe. But one thing I appreciate about them is they have an accessibility specialist, his name is Chris Ingram, and he works with vendors one-on-one to make sure they can handle the back end and the website, um, being able to enter products, to be able to change prices and all of that. But the one nice thing about their kiosk, it is ADA compliant. It's the only one uh, out there that is ADA compliant, and it's just like an iPhone. So you can double tap the bottom left corner, and it immediately voiceover speaks up, and you can swipe left and right, and you double tap to enter. So it is much – it's is very similar to the iPhone, and I really do appreciate that. So um, my kiosk, I would say, are pretty uh, voiceover friendly and – uh, blind friendly, but also on the back end as well. So, um, Cantaloupe does a great job with that. And for anyone needing a micro market, that is pretty, pretty darn accessible. Yeah, that, that, that's great though. What a wonderful attitude. Yes. All right. Kim is asking about enlargement of font. Uh, I guess you, are you saying on the kiosk, correct? Yes. Okay. So, well, you can customize it. You can create your on front page. So like, mine when they walk up to the kiosk it says welcome to milo's tea and you, so you can adjust that but they they the the programmers at cantaloupe would would handle that so you can but what i absolutely love i mean you double tap that screen and it even has for will people in a wheelchair it will drop down to a lower where the whole screen is accessible to someone in a wheelchair so that is very very uh impressive 
But also, as soon as you double tap that, it, it tells you, you know, swipe left, swipe right, double tap for enter, and it will read everything on that screen. So you really wouldn't even need the bigger font. If you just double tap that, it's going to read every single thing on the screen. It goes through every menu. And speaking of menus, so like if you, you go to products and you double tap, then everything that is in that market, and I have over 300 items in my market, but it will go alphabetically in order and read those to you. And it will tell you the, the price, the description, and I mean, yeah, it will tell you the item description and the price of that as well. And and so, yeah, the, honestly, that was my question is just as far as uh, – the six micro markets, and I guess those are all par level, which has also been since bought out by 365. I'm, I'm really familiar with the micro markets, and they do, they were trying very hard to be um, blind friendly or VI friendly, but uh, there are many, many vendors that have been very frustrated with par level and are switching over. So uh, I'll just say that, but I just want to say thank you guys so much for being here and supporting us. Thanks. As a woman leader, I like am so committed to us having more female vendors. I think I can count on one hand. Um, yeah, and you're seconding that. Um, how many female vendors we have? You know, I was surprised when I went to our first conference, and something great about our vendors is they they really enjoy meeting in person. So it's kind of been one of the first groups where I've been going to in-person conferences and um, we as a state have been supporting um, in-person conferences for them because they really prefer that. They prefer that camaraderie um, over the virtual, but man, like I'm just so committed to making those spaces uh, welcoming for women that certain conduct, you know, without going into detail um, isn't occurring where women might feel unsafe um, or unwelcome. Um, definitely within our rules revision, we have to put more in there about like sexual harassment um, and those kinds of things. But um, I know I'm very new to vending, um, but I'm a committed disability rights female leader and I would love if, you know, our program and other programs around the country, you know, can really work on work on that goal. And I cannot believe I almost forgot to say that <laughs> last but not least. Right. <laughs> um, this is Artis. Um, I just wanted to ask you, besides the women, I was a woman vendor for 27 years and uh, it was easy for me because I was single when I went to training. So I didn't have to, you know, worry about moving to different places. So I think it's harder for a mother's, you know, that would like to go into it, but, you know, they can't do the training in another city or whatever. <laughs> do you accept vendors that are moving from another state, like another state that doesn't have enough um, locations? And so if they've moved from another state and they've already gone through training and perhaps they've been a vendor for a few years, but they want to move up, um, how do you handle that? I don't know that we have exact policies, do we, Tim, on, like, reciprocity well, uh, the ones that uh, there's, it's only happened a couple times, I believe, but I, I believe they uh, had to go back through the training. Yeah. So sorry. <laughs> That's not the easiest process. Because unfortunately, every state is different. And, you know, we, we don't know what they were trained in in those other states. And that's always been my understanding on it. 
I just wanted to kind of clarify for Kim and for anyone else too. You were talking about font size. So something that me and Scott just, that was kind of insider talk or behind whatever. We kept saying the 46, the 46. So Cantaloupe actually has a kiosk with a 46 inch monitor. So obviously your font would be a good bit larger on there as well and easier to see. So yes, but it, it is literally, it's, it's a, it's a big 46 inch TV turned up on its side vertical. Okay. And it is really nice. And here's the beauty of it. And this is, one reason we got it was we wanted to showcase what we could offer. So then we can take pictures and videos and use it in marketing materials and go to other private companies and say, this is what we can do for you. So that was one reason I did want the 46. Uh, but there again, whether you go with the 46 or the junior executive, like the 19 inch monitor, they're all ADA accessible with voiceover. So I wanted to kind of clarify that. And then I wanted to mention this too. You were talking about the rules. There are so many states around the country that are needing to update their rules. And like even in Alabama, we redid ours and had them approved in 2017. And we're going through that process now. And the rules can take, you know, two, three years sometimes to 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 do. But we need just to remember this. We can promulgate and work on rules, but we cannot implement them until they go to Washington, D.C. and are approved and come back to us. So for just for any of the vendors out there, keep that in mind. If you're going through the rules process, Please do not allow your state to implement those until they've been approved from RSA. Thank you. There was some confusion in my state about this. I'm going to add a step to that. Not only do your rules have to go to Washington, D.C. to rehab services administration, at least here, they also have to go through the state. So we have our joint committee. But I just wanted to say that step because you didn't say it in your part. And I've had some confusion in my state about that, too. So. Um, we've had some confusion in my state about, they call them new rules and old rules. And as a lawyer coming in, I was like, it's the rules that are online, <laughs> but I'm so glad that, yeah, I'm so glad that you clarified that. Yeah, exactly. So he was just saying in Alabama, just like here in Illinois, they become part of the code. Um, so I have to go through the state as well, but yeah, I just wanted to add in just because they went through RSA doesn't mean, yeah. And active participation in those rules. Okay, I think that is going to do it for our presentation today. So we thank Kim so much for coming in and, and giving us a great presentation and really breaking down what's happening here in Illinois. Very exciting. So thank you for, ha for coming in and giving us a presentation today, Kim. So we do have some raffle tickets available. Artist, if you want to. Uh, we do have raffle tickets and the 50-50 uh, tickets. And the drawing will be right between the comedy and the karaoke tomorrow night, uh, Sunday night. Um, so if you want to purchase those, they're six or five dollars. And I have them right up here at the head table. And um, I guess you probably want to give the ending code for this particular session too for the Zoom people. I will give out the closing code. And again, I will repeat it twice. Four, two, one, nine, two and one more time four two one nine two